Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. (laughs) Okay. Happy birthday to Zoe, 25 years old, two days ago. And for your birthday, at your request, we are recording a, an episode of our best worst movies. The movies that we love to watch, that, that we love out of all proportion to how good they actually are. <laughs> yeah, movies that we love to riff on. and uh, But we're not guilty about, so they're not guilty pleasures. Right. So we've compiled uh, each separate list for you, and some of them overlap. Yeah, quite a few of them do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, these are not going to be in any particular order, although I guess there's some that we do love better than other, but we haven't taken the time to rank them because that takes forever and requires a lot of wrangling and arguing, and it's not worth it. So we'll just list some for you that we really recommend that you watch for the sheer pleasure of them. And which one do you want to start with? Um, I would say, I feel like out of all the movies, despite the fact that we're not ranking them, there's one in particular that stands out that we have a long history with that... um, Well, it's an easy one to recommend. It's just an easy one to recommend. All right, fine. (laughs) Uh, I I think that's why we recommend... That's why it's at the top of the list. It's not so much that I like it better, although I like it a lot. It's that it's an easy one to recommend because it's got so many elements that a lot of people would like. And that's Laser Mission. It's a 1989 film starring someone you may or may not know, but you probably should know, Brandon Lee. Son of Bruce Lee, for those of you who are out of touch with any kind of cultural zeitgeist. Like me. (laughs) (laughs) And Brandon, for those of you who don't know, he died very, very young, even younger than his father. Uh, due to an uh, accident on a set, that on a movie he was working on, he was accidentally shot by a real bullet and ended up uh, dying from that, which is terribly sad. And Brandon at that time was just about to break out into like full-fledged stardom that he was uh, seeking uh, due to The Crow, which is that's probably where everybody really knows him from. And was, and it's interesting because of all of his movies, The Crow is the one I like the least. It's really not that interesting to me. There are a lot of people who really do like it. Not to mention, isn't his face hidden most of the time? Well, it's under makeup. That handsome, handsome face. It's, it's really... One of the handsomest faces ever. Truly <laughs> really gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't get to see much of that. And also, I don't know, I just didn't find the movie that interesting. So, so. Laser Mission, on the other hand... On the other hand, is, is fantastic. <laughs> I don't know, where do we even start Something with Laser Mission? It's a, uh, well, basically, it's a, a thriller, a spy, espionage... Uh, Cold War? The beauty of it is, is that it's timeless. It's placeless. Um, I defy you to figure out where this movie takes place. <laughs> I, and you can't really tell when it takes place, except that it's before cell phones. But there's no real time frame that you can pin down. Not at all. And uh, it's in a way, it's a mess. It's a mishmash. It doesn't totally make sense. But yet, somehow, it's got its own logic. It has a beautiful... Um pacing to it, which is, a, I think, a flaw in a lot of bad movies that might be enjoyable, that they tend to drag at moments. The person didn't know when to edit out dull scenes. This one just barrels along. That's true. It really does. And there's, you know, and it's fantastic in that there are, like you were saying, Cubans, Russians, people from, it looks it's like a, Africa. It's said in Africa at some point. Yeah. And, well, maybe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> I thought a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Africa, I mean, you just uh, you don't even know. I mean, it seems like he's in America at one point, be, in, early on in the film. But it's really hilarious because they, they 
pull him out of prison and he's the only guy who can do the job and he comes into this boardroom and he's dressed only in like a muscle t-shirt <laughs> do you remember what his name is no what's his name michael gold michael gold that's good that's secret good. operative michael gold yes um <laughs> Very, it, that doesn't roll off the tongue very well. No. no, no. <laughs> and he's supposed to be so smooth and so slick with yeah. such great one-liners. And yeah. yet, Brandon Lee, he hadn't really... He, 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 he has not mastered that. <laughs> he is no James Bond <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, at that time, he was, he was more fresh-faced. and He's, yeah, he's so young. <laughs> and, well, the, the thing about it is that makes the movie, I think, a bad movie that I would recommend part of it is is that Brandon Lee himself first of all he's very good looking as, as we said and we probably will say this many more times mm-hmm. because it is an overwhelming fact of the universe uh, but it's also that he is clearly a sweet good really earnest guy who loves acting and wants to be an actor is given his all uh, and, and earnest He's so earnest in that he's giving his all. I mean, he's not judging. He is 100% in it, doing everything he can. He's totally not the uh, womanizing, slick, babe, you know, babe magnet that they have in the movie, right? Right. (laughs) And he's sort of like all winky and and, and all that. He just does not pull it off. Oh, one of my favorite moments is uh, a chase across rooftops, probably guns and stuff. And he crashes through a family's like, oh yeah, living dining room uh, ceiling at one point and falls onto their table and rolls off. And then he turns around and looks in the camera and the pacing is totally weird. And he goes, I just wanted to drop in to say, bon appetit. It's bad. Well, I, I love it when the, they're uh, running through the desert and uh, they're being chased by the guy and they're running and it's midday in the desert. Not one drop of sweat on that snow white shirt. <laughs> or he also has a woman companion who's nobody famous. Mm-mm. She never made it. I, She's uh, amazing, though. Her boobs do some great acting. Uh, she is... She is uh, really perfect for the perfect for the film she's got that that permed 80s hair and she does she has breasts that are um that 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 make a statement at all times <laughs> she's, she's the she driver. leads and she leads with them like yes. when she when she's going to uh, go when she's in leaves in a huff her breasts turn away first and then the rest of her goes yes it's very very funny and uh, yeah so so she's fantastic and she's running through the desert Perhaps, I think she may be carrying her high heels on that burning sand. Yeah. Not a bit of sweat on her either, <laughs> which just makes me laugh so much. And then they have a bed scene that is just, just laugh out loud. I mean, I was, I don't normally cry or laugh out loud. I just enjoy things in my internal space. But this is one of those ones I had to shout and laugh. And then there is, uh, there are some... Second, all the secondary characters are pretty, pretty decent. But there's this pair. I think they're supposed to be Cuban. I'm not sure, but I think they're supposed to be Cuban. And because they have these phony, thick accents, yeah. right? And one's a woman and one's a man, and they're both soldiers. They're just, they're so weird. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow they end up being transported to every place the movie takes place in, yeah. and just like creating. And they're they're behind things and they're hiding and they're chasing him and they're being all oh it's very funny. So anyway, this movie is is it's it's light. It's a delight. Um, uh, yeah, love it. How long is it? It's it's short, isn't it? It's pretty short. I um here let's look. 
I'll give you one of my favorite quotes from the movie. Uh, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> when, when Brandon Lee is in jail and uh, the jailkeeper comes up to him and he goes, ha, 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 they're going to cut off your head manana. <laughs> <laughs> one hour and 24 minutes. Yeah, so less than an hour and a half. Now, when we're talking about bad movies or our best worst movies, there are two categories within this genre for us. One is that... At any time, in any place, by any standard, this is a bad movie. Technically bad, bad dialogue, bad acting, whatever. It's just not good. Yet, it is. there's an element to it that brings it above that so that it's bad yet enjoyable. And that can be enjoyable in a hipsterish, kitsch, ironic way or just just enjoyable. Straight up hilarity. Straight up hilarity, hilarity or, or fun, whatever. So that's one category of, of it, uh, which is usually what people mean when they say bad movie. And then there's a second category, at least I have a second category in mind, and that's a movie that might have been pretty good at its time, but it's been very dated, and so therefore becomes funny, or is technically proficient or proficient in several ways, but just is ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and unrealistic and silly. And I have that as one of my categories as well. I don't really distinguish between the two that much, but I needed to do this for Zoe because we had this conversation and she goes, well, is that really a bad movie? And I'm like, well, it kind of is now. (laughs) Maybe at the time when it came out, it wasn't, but it's just overblown and silly and over the top. And one of those movies is one that we both like a lot, but that, uh, and a lot of people love this movie. It's quite a Quite a cult hit. I don't know if it's even cult. It's I think just, it's cult. Yeah. Yeah. May, certainly, maybe a mainstream hit. Mm. A lot of people like it. Is Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse, fantastic. Love it. Love so it. Love good. it. But I love it because of the elements in it that I think are ridiculous, over the top, silly. To me, that makes it a best worst movie. Um, so I, I would call that a bad movie. For whatever reason, I just disagree. I, I, but I agree that it's ridiculous, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just I don't think it's a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the acting is not very good. Uh, the script is silly. Uh, but it, I mean, the elements come together very well, and it's very eighties. And that's the other thing is it is out. It is dated. It's very dated, but in a charming way. Um, and the other thing <laughs> that I guess I have to say is. The commonality, at least with these films, and as we go through, maybe it will be the commonality with all the films, is that there is an earnestness. Patrick Swayze, the star, is so, I mean, he's just like the pure at heart kind of guy. He just loves acting, and he's very sincere about being an artist in whatever he does, and having been a dancer, uh, maybe that's part of it too, is that you know there's a certain sincerity in, in coming from a different art form. But he's very sincere. He's very full of uh, the really getting into the role and not judging and, and being 100% there. When the the rest of the movie is very schlocky that is just charming and so it makes me laugh and in a way that's not derisive it's more uh kind of joyous laughter absolutely yeah, yeah I don't there's know. some good stuff in this his hair is fantastic his hair is good you get to see his butt yeah a couple uh, times a couple times don't yeah. you yeah. full length too yeah full length torso to butt yeah um. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and having been a dancer it's well developed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't have spindly legs like a lot of men either. Yeah. yeah. 
And um, there's, of course, there's a romance in this one, but there's also some great, um, I mean, the whole premise is that he's a bouncer and he comes to shape up. This. He's he's a, an internationally known bouncer. Yes, right. <laughs> like <laughs> infamous in his field somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good one. Um, I could talk. Got on your list. All right. I'd say um, to mix it up a little bit, I'll put one that's not on your your list. Okay. Um, so I've got five movies that I ended up with on my list that I can really say are truly some of the ones that reoccur for me as my my best worst movies. Um, and none of them are dramas. All of them are like action, sci-fi. Um, this one is called Ninja 3, The Domination. I have not seen Ninja 1 nor Ninja 2. Uh, and it's they're not required viewing to see Ninja 3, The Domination. Uh, this is a 1984 movie. It's um, one of those martial arts exploitation movies where, um, you know, martial arts, ninjas, Japanese, and more broadly, like, Asian things were becoming very popular in American cinema. And so they were like, let's make a movie about ninjas. But there's, like, a complete misconception about what a ninja is. Um, and I'd say this movie is kind of a combination between... Uh, flash dance and like the exorcist <laughs> but with martial arts <laughs> it's really a lot of things mishmashed into each other um, one of the best scenes in the movie though is uh, the main character is a, is a woman she, she's a lineman or a line woman so she works on electrical wiring but then she also like teaches an aerobics dance class at night um, so f- very flash dance in a sense huh um and there's this one scene, and it's like a seduction scene, and it involves V8 juice, and like, I won't tell you more, but it's really pretty incredible. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> How'd I miss this? Yeah, we, we should watch it together. It's been a while for me. <laughs> okay, so what on, my, uh, what on my list that you haven't watched, that I watched just recently, it's from 2014, so it's a pretty recent movie. It's the one that I watched recently that actually is a fairly recent movie. It uh, was made in 2014. It's called Blind. Just blind, not blind spotting or blind, and just blind. It stars Alec Baldwin and Demi Moore. Oh my God, I laughed out loud at this, I think at least six times. It was so funny. It's about um, Alec Baldwin plays a blind novelist and he also teaches at a university, and so he can't read his students work or whatever and Demi Moore is married to this um, corporate asshole who's cheating people in a pyramid kind of a Bernie Madoffish kind of guy I guess anyway he gets caught and he's put funneled money through their joint uh, bank account so she ends up being um, put on to community service because they think oh well you probably didn't know but which is really funny is that there's been no trial at all you can't put somebody on community service for something that they have not been adjudicated as being guilty of. <laughs> so just speaking from the law point of view, right there, it's ridiculous. Uh, and so that was funny is how ridiculous it is. But they have to get her into this community service program. So this rich woman with these big diamonds has to go to this blind center and read to the blind. So she gets assigned to read to Alec Baldwin. And Alec Baldwin is... <laughs> The magic blind man, as as often are. His senses are so acute. His other senses are so acute that he he can just hear any little tiny, like if somebody 
unbuttons a button. He can hear the whisper of the fabric on the button. And it's very, very funny. But anyway, she goes in. She doesn't want to do it. And he's really rude and blah, blah, blah. So you know that they're going to have an attraction and fall in love. And first of all, it's so ridiculous because even though these two people in real life are probably only maybe six years apart in age, really, Alec Baldwin looks like a monster now. He, I mean, he used to be a hot, hot dude. You know, he, the Baldwins, the Baldwin brothers were like super hot in the eighties. So Alec Baldwin is like this monster mountain of a man. I mean, he's just gnarly. I mean, if you haven't seen Larry, he's big, puffy, so puffy, and his eyelids are all like flappy, and his skin is cratered and he just looks awful he looks so he not only looks older he looks like a bad older and Demi is I mean she's obviously had some work done but she's still slender she's still lithe she looks very nice she really looks very pretty and smooth and lovely and so they got to pair these two together it's ridiculous I'm, I'm looking at the poster Ugh. right now and the contrast is really Ugh. like and that and, and he looks be- stunning he, he looks good on the poster I, Alec Baldwin is I'm just going to say this. He, to me, is an example of the white male privilege that just drives me nuts when I see this because he's someone who, um, when he was young, he was a, he was a good actor. Um, but even, like, I listened to his uh, podcast, and he even says, oh, he realized he doesn't have to do all that acting stuff. He doesn't have to work on all the character thing. He just has to stand in the light in the right way and tilt his head, and you get the effect. And I'm going, yeah, but, you know, Alec, it shows. It really shows that you are, I can tell, that you're not really, you're not amazing. You're not doing this great acting. And yet, he continues to get part after part after part after part and being all these things because he's now connected into that network. And I don't, he does not do the work that show, that that earns him all that money and that fame and that uh, those parts. And there are plenty of other kinds of, you know, white males and other kinds of males who could fulfill those parts with so much more gusto and nuance and because they'd actually be putting themselves into that role. And I will contrast him with J.K. Simmons, who recently won the Oscar for Whiplash. He was the teacher. Now, there's a white male who earns his place. You know, he Every drop of his cellular being is put into those roles, and he really prepares them, and he puts everything he has into it. And that's somebody you go, okay, you know, I, he, he earned that, you know. And so anyway, even though Alec Baldwin, to my mind, stands generally on the right side of politics and all that, and I appreciate his activism and all that, I don't think he earns his acting kudos, and I don't think he earned being in a movie with Demi Moore and getting to kiss her. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly. Frankly. And, but the movie, uh, but the fact that he is in the movie does make it better as a better, uh, a best worst movie. Because he's so, he's got the Alec Baldwin voice, right? And he can, and he can hear the whisper. At one point, there is a scene that just, oh my God, is so fantastic. Anyway, she goes in, and she's got to read to him for her community service and she hates it because he's all like he acts like an asshole at least when they first meet and she's sitting in the chair and he and the windows are all closed and and she says wow it's so hot in here can't we open a window and he says no i i i have to hear every nuance of the of the writing the the noise from the window would distract me and i wouldn't be able to hear every nuance of what the the assignment is and she's like, all right fine and so he's standing with his back to her and <laughs> so funny 
she's behind him and she's like, well, there's nobody else in the room and I am hot as shit. So she unbuttons her blouse and takes it off and is in her bra, right? So the first button that goes to close up on the button coming out through the hole and all and Alec Baldwin, you can see his face like a horn dog go, hmm? And his eyes kind of open a little bit more and his ears perk up and he's, hmm? And then the next one and he kind of hears it and he goes, wait a minute, what happened? Your pheromones changed. Oh, is it? How do you say that? Pheromone. Pheromones. Your, your pheromone. Your pheromones changed. Jeez. <laughs> She's like, nothing. And she's sitting there in her bra. And it was like, oh, my God. It was, I mean, it was that kind of stuff. And then there's a, a scene later where uh, he wants to feel, oh, God, I couldn't believe they did this. Classic This moment. is the, This is the second trope that this, there are two tropes in movies that just make me scream out loud when I see them because they are so <laughs> hackneyed and stupid and, and, and yet filmmakers still use them over and over yeah. again. They still, one is the two lovers or the two people who are trying to make a connection are looking up at the stars and they talk about the fucking constellations. Oh, there's Cassiopeia. Oh, that's the North Star. I fucking hate <laughs> <Good> that. <one. laughs> it's so bad. And this is the other one. And that is the blind person feeling the face of the other person to see what they look like. Right. Oh, my God. And they did it. Oh, my God. And they did it. But then they did a twist afterwards. First of all, I, I shouted out loud, Oh, my God, they're not going to do that. Oh, Jesus, God. And then, <laughs> oh, and then they have a twist after. Do you want me? Should I tell it or? Uh, I, yeah, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. It's hilarious. So of course they're going to be creative, right? So then Demi Moore takes, I think it's his tie or something, and she ties it around her eyes so she can't see, and then she feels his face so she can see him the way he sees her and i'm like oh my god that was the oh it was so fantastic it was so fantastic i was i you know that made me gurgle (laughs) oh anyway i I highly recommend blind if you want a best worst movie because it 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 really is just every there's and there's uh, the little the the um oh what is the word for when you have somebody in there just to have them in there for their race or their gender. Token. Token. Then there's the token black guy. He's the, a young a young student who wants to be a writer. And he comes in and he kind of comes in and out and does a few things. Um, and so they got, so they're hitting all the bases on that one. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was, that was something else. Okay. So uh, shall we talk about another one that we both like? Yeah, let's do it. Um, doppelganger? Doppelganger. Oh, Doppelganger. So good. <laughs> 2013, right? No, no, 2003. No, no 1993. Oh, 1993. <laughs> the oh. 90s movie, of course. That was the year you were born. Yes, exactly. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we watched this one pretty recently. Yeah. It's got... Um, Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, of course. And she, she seems like quintessential 90s uh, actress for me, I think. Is she? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I, and the thing is, is that Bar- Drew Barrymore being the granddaughter of John Barrymore if you haven't heard of him you you should hear learn about him because he was a very important actor in the early 20th century and he set a lot of styles he was very uh, amazing in his time British no no and he um anyway so she's his granddaughter and she got into filmmaking i think primarily on that name i mean he had to in the cachet she, and she was the little girl the little daughter in et 
so that was where you'll you'll know her from anyway uh poor and poor drew i mean she she did have a hard time she mm-hmm. a lot of drugs not not very good parenting from what i've heard and anyway <clears throat> now she's in 1993 she's a young woman I don't know how old was she? Was twenty two or pretty something? Pretty young, yeah. yeah, early twenties. One of the first feature films you'll probably ever see her in. Yeah, and this movie, first of all, she hadn't learned how to act yet. Yeah, Frank. I mean, she was not. I, the reason I brought up her grandfather, she was not born with it in her genes. <coughs> she does not. She's not a very good actress in this. And then she's given a not a very good role. And so, what really makes it funny? First of all, she's getting her all. She's totally serious in her performance, but that there's this very famous actress now who does who's pretty good now. She's never really been a great actor, but she's pretty good now. She's learned how to act. She's done a lot of good stuff. So you see somebody really famous when they're not, they don't know what they're doing and they're in a terrible movie. Yeah. It's so and I personally, I'm not very susceptible to, to recognizing bad acting. I think it's I'm gullible. I don't know what it is. I just kind of take everything for granted. But, like, she's bad to me in this movie. Well, that's so saying that's something. Saying something. <laughs> and, and there's one great shot that you don't want to miss where she's having an argument with somebody. She gets up from the table and turns around, and her dress is caught up in her ass crack. <laughs> she's got a straight wedgie. <laughs> and she just, and, and she very professionally, she just walks and she just, Tugs the the, the side of the skirt and it comes out and she moves on. And and they kept that shot. That's how low budget this is. They couldn't afford to do another take. It's amazing. Either that or the director was so bad they didn't even catch it. I don't know about that. But, oh, it was so funny. I mean, the whole movie is very funny. But one of the very best things in the film is that there is a a performance by an actor called Dennis Christopher, who you probably don't remember, but I know very well. He was the star of Breaking Away, if you've seen the 80s movies, and that's a fantastic film. And he also was in Chariots of Fire. Anyway, he had kind of a hot streak way back when he first started, and then he kind of settled into playing smaller parts in B-movies, and you don't see him that much. But anyway, he's in this, Dennis Christopher. He is, he has a part, I can't even describe it. What is that that he does? He's pretending to be a FBI agent or something and a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist. I mean, a bunch it, of different things. He's a bunch of different he's, things. Oh, he's very weird. Weird. <laughs> oh, but he does this. You're just going, what is this he's doing? Because he's actually a seasoned educated actor and he's been in film before this and you're just going he manages the to be choices he's making are amazing charismatic but uncanny at the same time i think i think it would work really well in a better setting if it yeah. was set in a better thing i think that it's actually might be something that's actually pretty good that just ends up being so totally weird yeah. because it's not set in the right setting I, he there's just a scene in a in a uh, an apartment in an abandoned apartment that he's in and somebody comes. I don't know. It's you just got you got to <laughs> watch it. Or had a loss for words. You got to yeah. watch it. And then the end is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, totally. This movie. It's kind of interesting. It's a mixture of a lot of things, like a lot of these other ones that I describe. Yeah. It's like I don't know, um, a single white female. That like movie about the part. The like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like. There's, like, some Cronenbergian elements in there. Like, they obviously spent their budget on some, like, special effects you did not see coming from the beginning of the well, movie. Well, and a little bit Car- Carpenter, John carpenter Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. The end, in particular, reminds yeah. me a lot of The thi- the Thing. Yeah. 
And so uh, it, it definitely reminds me of that. And you can always go on to Letterboxd and read my reviews of most of I haven't reviewed all of them, but I've reviewed almost all of these. So you can kind of get a just a sense in a, in a more encapsulated manner. But it, What's that, your name on Letterboxd? Rima, R-E-M-A. Look up some of those reviews. Some of them are had me screaming. <laughs> And yeah, so anyway, I highly recommend Doppelganger. Uh, and um, so let's see, what else have we seen that we really, really liked? Um, it's a bad worst movie. I've got um, one that you've seen that you didn't put on your list. Um, oh, Mom? Or two, actually. The Instructor and The Visitor are both movies we've the seen instructor? together. The Instructor? The Instructor is one that we saw at The Grand Illusion that was filmed oh, in Ohio. Oh, from Akron, Ohio. Yeah. My hometown, Akron, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess I wouldn't. I, 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 like that more because of the setting it was because it, it was filmed right when i was still living in akron in the 1970s yeah yeah and something about that movie really tickled me so it's um 1981 the instructor and it was filmed by an actual martial art instructor at a dojo and so this was kind of his movie where he's like i'm gonna star in it and it's gonna be about my dojo but it's kind of fictionalized well actually that i don't think that was his attitude he was actually hired to do it he was oh, not was it's he? not i don't think that it was his film? Was I think it? it was. Was it? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Never mind. <laughs> he's really given himself some... He's a star. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is funny because it's got that wooden, static quality of people who don't work in front of the camera and are not trained. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it's got... Uh, it, it. But it's fun. It's totally fun. Yeah. I've got... Um, it's... It's a, a low-budget, adult-rated karate kid mixed with an 80s Hallmark card. Um there are these scenes because there's this woman he's in love with, but mm-hmm. their relationship is completely flat. And it's like I've got this this booklet almost. It's like a a card booklet from Hallmark mm-hmm. from the '80s. That's like, "You are my love. I see you in the sky." And it's got like a picture <laughs> of a dude leading a woman on a horse, and that is basically a literal scene from the film. Yeah, you know? true. Good yeah. point. <laughs> I don't know. It really hit some funny spots for me. And there's a good car chase through Akron. There is, yeah. And it's actually on the streets of the city. And I don't, they, I'm sure they didn't get the right, the uh, per- permit to do this. They must have done it at some point uh, on the sly. And it, and there's a park in Akron that they go to and they have a big fight and a chase in it. With chainsaws. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, like a chainsaw. I mean, those things are heavy. Yeah. And these guys are like picking them up and having a chainsaw battle oh my god that was fun i'd forgotten about that yeah that's a good one yeah that's very good one because it's also really rare and hard to find yeah yeah good luck with that find it at scarecrow video yeah do they have it there yep they've got a copy for rent cool um and then uh yeah that's a that's a very good one now all right so we'll talk about one that i put which again this falls into my this is not this is of its time has a lot of good things in it so I wouldn't call it bad, but I would call it bad because it's dated. And I think even at the time, it's over the top. It's silly. And it's got a lot of questionable elements in it. And that's Hard Target, which I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's Jean-Claude Van Damme, who, not much of an actor, but a good screen presence. Because he's so good looking. The can- the- and with the right director, they know how to highlight him. But the, th- the elements in it that make this a bad, worst movie is oh i'm sorry i want to go back and say and it was directed by john woo and we all know john woo is a top flight hollywood director and this is his first american film so one of the reasons that makes it bad good is he brings a lot of the the asian aesthetic or the asian not even the well he brings that but that there are different standards of continuity and storytelling 
and um, requirements for, or lack of requirements in my opinion, for characterization required in Asian films than in American films. There's a gap there. Um, where so well, where we look for okay, you need to build a character, and they need to have psychological nuance in the Asian uh, action film genre. Not no, I mean you just there's a good guy, there's a bad guy. It's very very archetypal, and um, so he brought that over, and so you see that in this film is that everyone is just a, a, a type. And that's not unusual, but um, but he also brought his. Um, martial arts artistry, his inventiveness, very inventive. And in a way that kind of, I don't know, because of the way I view maybe martial arts movies, the inventiveness of the action sequences, there's an 80s vibe to it. There is also sort of a a foxy kind of glee to it that he puts in there. You're like, that's totally silly. Couldn't really ever happen, but it's cool. Yeah, totally. You know? <laughs> and so that John Woo element, um, so he brings that over. And that, for me, that just puts it in this category. And something, it enlivens something that could have been dull. Mm-hmm. And that otherwise is not that good. Yeah, I feel like the premise is kind of unique, which is fun. No, no, not no. really. <laughs> well, there, there are a lot of movies. Running Man, there's a whole bunch of movies that are about the human hunt. Okay. So trying to, you know, uh, the humans are being hunted, and if they make it there uh, to a certain point, then they are they win, but the bad guys pretty much set it up so, so that they can't win. And then there's the special guy who comes in. and okay. No, that's... Okay, I was thinking more like New Orleans, the like element of like the homelessness... Mm. I haven't really seen in movies. Is that's like how they select their targets? Basically, veterans. Yeah. See, in the seventies and eighties, that was okay. not that unusual because Vietnam War was so recent. Mm. But anyway, uh, but they said it in New Orleans. The reason they do that is because Jean Claude Van Damme can barely speak English, <laughs> and, and he always puts his emphasis on the wrong syllable, and you're like, <laughs> which is adorable. I mean, I love it, it is cute. but it is funny, and uh, and so be, being that he's French. They, that <laughs> allows him to be Cajun. They're, therefore, it, it fits. So he was raised in the bayou. It's fine. <laughs> right, exactly. Like the, the one I just watched the other day, which was, oh, I can't remember it now, and, uh, Mortal Danger or something. Uh, it's a two-word title from three years prior to Hard Target. And he's French. And so he's from Canada. Uh-huh. Quebec. Okay, so he can be French. <laughs> so, so they work that in there. Uh, so I think that's why it's in New, uh, New Orleans. Um, but anyway, it is so good. So he's another martial artist or dancer turned martial artist. Yeah, I think I think he's the only one. I don't know. Is there another? Patrick Swayze. Oh, you think he's a martial artist? Well, he uh, Roadhouse. He he does martial arts. So. Yeah, I guess he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I, draw a parallel there. Yeah, I, I got you. I got you. Okay, I hadn't, I hadn't put him in the category of martial artist because a uh, Van Damme. But but Patrick Swayze has some acting ability. It's true. Or, <laughs> Van Damme. I don't think he ever really developed. It. I mean, he's just got that good good presence, and that's yeah. what makes up for it. Yeah. Okay. okay so the, okay. Gotcha. Should we drop the like moment that's really worth uh, watching this movie for? What, not when he says chance. Oh, yeah, Chance Boudreau. Now, first, let's talk about Wilford Brimley, who's in this. Okay. Wilford Brimley is his uncle. And if you haven't seen him, look. just Google Wilford Brimley. This guy is, um, you know, in his 60s at least, and he's really heavy, and um, he's just rotund guy, and yet he becomes this 
Robin Hood type character riding on horses, shooting arrows. <laughs> Why? <laughs> He's so against type. It's again. I think it's that 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 John Woo sort of you know mischievous uh, humor yeah. that he brought in there. So so a lot of these things are intentional, and a lot of times with bad movies, th- these things are unintentional, and that's what makes them funny. Yeah. In this case, I think that those choices are intentional to make us laugh. Uh, but he does it so tongue in cheek and so without poking us in the ribs that it has the same effect on me. As if it were a bad movie. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too. I can see that. Yeah. Um, the actress we liked a lot, even though her role's not... Nancy Butler. Amazing. There's a nod to feminism in there. A L- little, little <laughs> nod, yeah. she. There's just one point where she tries to take on yeah. the bad guys. She shoots a guy, and then he's like, give me that gun. And then she's like, no, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> but yeah, you want to you want to talk about the key scene oh, of this yeah. film? It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and again, these are bad movies, so we're just going to give away yeah. some of the good... And, and again, it's John Woo... This is meant to be funny, and <laughs> it's it works. So funny, it works. They're um, it's so unexpected. So Jean Claude Van Damme and the lead actress, his love interest, escape into the bayou, into the forest together, and he looks <laughs> into the trees behind her and sees a snake, and he reaches out and he says, "Do you trust me?" And then he grabs the snake, and then he punches the snake twice. <laughs> <laughs> The snake punching scene is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that is really worth worth just worth the whole film. And um the bad guy is Lance Hendrickson, who I really like. He's a really again, he's a very good actor and he tended to be in a lot of these kinds of films and you would you would know him from the Terminator, the original Terminator. He's the psychiatrist. I think he's in one of your other isn't he in The Visitor? Maybe. I believe he is, and he did a commentary. And he mm. talked a lot about working with Shelley Winters. Do you want to talk about The Visitor? Yeah, for sure. That's not on my list, but it's on your list. Because, again, I don't put on my best worst movies list any films that are, okay, they were bad, and I, I watched them, and I got some enjoyment and interest out of them, but I would never want to watch them again, and I was more than 50% bored. Um, for me, <laughs> it's not like that's my criteria, but for me, I don't really mind slow moments in movies if the rest or parts of it make up for it i mm-hmm. guess mm-hmm. um and so there are just like some some things in all of these that really tickle my fancy um the visitor has a lot of bizarre elements to it and i guess if i was going to say what kind of a mashup this movie is it would be something like the bad seed or the exorcist mixed with star wars but set in the guggenheim that's funny <laughs> um <and> there's some <laughs> so there's the sort of central thing of this film is that there's this like evil child who's possessed by evil and then up in space somewhere they have to send in this like old wise guy to make and that's played by john houston thank you who's a famous uh, director and actor and he directed chinatown for example and so he comes down to earth basically to confront her but then there's all this other weird shit going on at the same time um, there's a really good ice skating scene where this, like, evil child, she's skating around, and there are some boys skating, and suddenly she just pulls all these moves and, like, kicks them in the face with her skates, and, like, <laughs> it's just so good. There's a lot of freeze frame. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of a lot of ominous pseudo-mythological voiceover about yeah. the meaning of the universe and time and I don't know what all. Oh, jump, done by John Houston. <laughs> and there's, oh, and the birds. There's, like, a bird, mo- a killer bird motif for no reason. Yeah. Um, the, so the ending scene is great. And I don't know, there's this scene where one of the actors just looks in the bushes and there are so many shots of him searching in the bushes over and over and over again. Stuff like that just like makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. 
So I really highly recommend The Visitor. It's, I'd say, one of the more bizarre ones, but then also has all these slow moments in it. There are some other stars which I'm not coming up with. The only one I can think of is Shelley Winters. And she's a three-time Oscar winner or something. And she was in the Poseidon Adventure, end of her career kind of playing this woman and apparently Lance Hendrickson who's in this as well he was saying she would she would be like running around the set going where's my pillows I need my pillows and she had incense and she'd be running around the set like incensing the set and like she was like a crazy woman apparently <laughs> oh yeah she was like the nanny who like yeah Mary yeah. Poppins figure yeah randomly. exactly she just shows nothing. up yeah exactly <laughs> and she uh apparently if you if you do get this and can get it on dvd do look at the extras and, and watch the... Because uh, it was filmed in Italy. I don't remember. I think it was filmed in Italy and the director only spoke Italian and all the actors speak oh. English and they were very confused. Oh, which that's makes, right. Makes, it kind of makes the movie a little bit more... And this coherent. is one of Hendrickson's very first movies and so he was really young in this and he was coming in with all these famous people and it, in the into the situation and he said he was really embarrassed and he didn't want to tell people to go, you know, his friends and stuff. He to didn't go want see them, it. He didn't want them to go see it because they had no idea what it was going to look like Yeah. when, you know, be, when they were making it. How, how bad it was going to be. <laughs> that's, that is a good. I, yeah, that's one of those ones that, in retrospect, I really remember. I, re- I really love remembering, but I don't think I'd ever want to see yeah. it again. There's no snake punching in it. No, one true. <laughs> so one movie that we're hearkening back to that we just kind of remembered about is uh, Step Up to the Streets, uh, which is one that I think we watched while I was in middle school. And it's about a girl who uh, does street dancing but then has to go to a fine arts academy for dance. Um, And one of the things, I mean, the dance scenes are actually really good in this movie, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Um, And this was kind of before they got to the point in dance movie editing that they just, like, cut, 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 cut. So you get to see at least, like, some pretty good sequence in it. But it's pretty bad otherwise. Well, basically, isn't it about two groups of dancing people who are doing pranks that are actually serious i mean it's like a serious war of pranks yeah they're doing like like vandalism and yeah. stuff like that and so one group breaks into the other group's digs and puts like a fish in the ventilation system something like that to stink it up <laughs> and so the most quotable line from the movie is um they come home and they're like damn why does my crib smell like broccoli funyuns and ball sweat <laughs> Funyuns, broccoli, and ball sweat. Funyuns, broccoli, and ball sweat. <laughs> this was the funniest shit to me in middle school. It was, I thought it was hilarious, too. It, it's a, it's one of those lines where you go, Funyuns? Why Funyuns? I mean, you know, of all the things. And Funyuns, for those of you who don't know, are is an onion-flavored tasty treat, apparently, of the time, as I remember. <laughs> Sometimes the things that I try to explain where I'm like, for the audience. <laughs> and you're like, why would you need to explain that? <laughs> That's me and Funyuns. <laughs> oh, really? Do yeah. you know what Funyuns are? Okay. You can edit that out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so step up to this good. We like the dance movies. We there are several, and of course, this is another one along the lines of Hard Target that I now put on my best worst movie list. Even though it's that not I disagree with vehemently, it's not it's not a bad movie, but it's dated and it's silly and it's unrealistic. And that's Flashdance, which I love. I love to death. I saw it when it came out in the theater originally. Wow, and it's just ridiculous but totally fun and the choreography in this film is very good it was pretty cutting edge at the time for the uh film 
choreography, and it still holds up as something very fresh, and I don't think anybody has copied it. It's a huge reference, like cultural reference. Oh, at this totally. Point, but I'm realizing that a lot of people, at least in my generation, haven't actually seen it. Yeah, definitely they should see it. It's because it's entertaining as well as a, a, a cultural referent. The a scene where she's on a chair and she pulls the string in the water. You've seen that everywhere, and, and it's been done in all kinds of pastiches and comedy routines and so forth as well. But uh, the two particular things I remember at the time, I was just entering graduate school for, dan- for dance, and I'd seen the movie, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And I went and everybody was being like real sniffy about it. like, Ugh. And I remember one of the professors... Ugh. She would never have been able to get into a ballet school. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and it's true. Because to be in ballet school, you have to have ballet technique. And no one, doesn't matter how good you are. You could be the most amazing jazz dancer in the entire world or hip-hop dancer in the entire world. You're not going to get into a ballet school. Uh, but she does because her dream is to dance ballet. Uh, <laughs> Which is such a shame because her other dances are so great. <laughs> yeah, why do you want to dance ballet? Yeah. <laughs> Boring. And then... The other, the other bit of, apparently, I forget where I, I've heard this, but somebody said that like her dad was watching it. And oh, by the way, for those of you who haven't seen it and don't know, the lead uh, actor, she's young and beautiful and she's the What's her dancer. Name? Jennifer Beals. Oh, that's right, Jennifer Beals. Yeah, she's so hot. She In is. This movie, let me just say, she's very hot. And also she's got like this like mix of masculinity and femininity yeah. To some extent. But but mostly feminine. Yeah, for sure. Sort of feminine, putting on a little of the masculine, which is very attractive. And she's this was her first film, and a huge hit, made her a star. But the character she plays wants to be a dancer. And this is where the, the mix comes in. To make money, just to get by, she's a welder. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be a welder, you have to be in a union, pretty much. And you have to, to get, I mean, that, the whole thing there. But apparently this woman's dad was watching, and he goes, that weld will never hold. <laughs> And that's the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> this weld will never hold. Uh, and so that's why I put it on here. But I, I've seen it. I probably have seen it ten times. It's an excellent film. Definitely for me a little bit of like, you know, uh, I'm like, oh, that's that's like my gender presentation ideal. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, her, yeah, her dancing where she, her second job is dancing in a strip club. And yet she, her, all of her dance routines are super fucking artsy. Yeah. And, like, and she never, they never take any clothes yeah. off. <laughs> I mean, they wear kind of sexy unitard outfits, but yeah. there, there's no uh, no stripping involved. I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a total fantasy. <laughs> and it's a blue collar steel workers bar. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> I love it. The opening song, um, the Fa- yeah. flash dance, dot, 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 what a feeling, uh, is one of my favorites. I, re- I believe Irene Cara. Irene Cara, who does the main song in Fame. Fame. Um, but never like put out an album or anything, and she's an incredible vocalist. Are like, you sure she didn't put out an album? I would have looked in the really? library and online. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, she is. She was a, and she was. Um, she acted in Fame too. She starred in Fame as well. Yeah, she was very, very good. Uh, so anyway, I I have flash dance on my list, but highly recommended, regardless of whether you are willing to consider it a best worst movie or just really a fun fun movie. You want to talk about your uh, picks? Okay, and, and there's another pick that Zoe hasn't seen. That I is I saw this movie when I was a kid on TV. It is fantastic. It's called The Naked Jungle, starring Charlton Heston 
and Eleanor Parker, I think her name is. And he's, this is Heston in his prime when he's tall and strapping and broad-shouldered and Rolf super hunky with the voice. And Eleanor Parker is, she's beautiful, statuesque, full-figured, red hair, just full-lipped, gorgeous woman, right? So it takes place in the jungle in, I think it's South America. And he's a plantation owner. Okay, so right there, right? (laughs) And he has this plantation that he's built up. He came down when he was 19. And, you know, he just lived down there. And he built this plantation up. And now he, and he buys everything that's the best. The best furniture, the house, is it all brought down. And now he wants a wife and he's like, I think he's supposedly like 35. He's in his late 30s apparently in the movie. So he gets a mail order bride. He has brother pick out a woman and advertises and it's going to have her come down and marry him, which was not uncommon at that time. You'd marry somebody you'd never seen before. So she comes down, right? And she's gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous. And the funny thing about it is, and they they allude to it in such a full-blown, if you've ever seen the films of Douglas Sirk, the color, the emotionality, the the strum and drong of the whole thing is so Douglas Sirkian, but not quite with the same artistry as Douglas Sirk. And she comes down and he's all like hostile and everything. And then he finds out that she's been married before and her husband died. She's a widow. And so then he's going to send her back because she's like used goods. And he only gets the best and he doesn't want the used goods. And essentially the fact is is he's never he indi- they indicates pretty clearly he's never had sex. He's a virgin in his mm. late 30s. And he, so he's just pulsating with this, this repressed sexual never all uh, uh, right. And she's this gorgeous, gorgeous woman. Who wouldn't want this woman, you know? But he's not going to do it because he's so insecure that he wouldn't want to be compared. Like, maybe he wouldn't be as good as this other guy or something, right? <laughs> you know? But it's just like it's all this heaving, massive, you know, this repressed sexuality. There's one point where he takes her in his arm and, and he grabs her perfume bottle and he slashes the, the perfume across her. And he, and, like, and then he storms out on his horse and he rides away. And, <laughs> and the only thing that saves them is the killer ants that are coming and they're huge masses and they're denuding forests and they're leaving cows, just bones, and they're eating people and they're coming down the river and they have to fight off the ants. <laughs> oh, my God. It, what a premise. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and I think it was originally a short story. And I don't think it had the whole romance factor. I think it was just the ants and how they were going to fight the ants and all the things they did to fight the ants. It was more originally that. And then they put in this, the core <laughs> of this steamy, steamy is the word. And of course it's hot and steamy there too. The, the drums, the drums are beating, you know, it's like, sounds like a good double feature with that Raymond Burr flick we talked about. Oh gosh. Yeah. The one about the gorilla. Yeah. Raymond Burr is the gorilla. I don't remember the name of the white gorilla or something like that. Yeah. Raymond Burr. <laughs> love my love me some Raymond Burr, um, but anyway, and of course there is you know certain problematic issues about race and being being a overseer and owner of a plantation and all that deal. So that's a great one. That is a very good one. I also put signs on my list uh, because I even though a lot, there are a lot of people who like this M Night Shyamalan movie, I enjoyed it because it's a horror movie that's not really scary at all, and Mel Gibson despite his real-life, unbelievably racist, homophobic, ultra-religious persona on screen, he's so charming. You know, 
He really is. In this film, he comes through. He's a dad. He's and you just believe he's the most loving, gentle dad in the world. And uh, what's her name? Uh, Breslin, Angela Breslin. She's uh, uh, certainly an up-and-coming actress today. She's a little kid in this, and she is the most adorable child I think I've ever seen in film. Wow. She is, I mean, she is cutie patootie. And you can understand why Daddy would do everything he could to protect this little darling. She's so (laughs) sweet. You know, that is, it doesn't have quite the memorability. It's really very, very super forgettable. But it wasn't too scary, and it was kind of fun, and... She was really cute. So. <laughs> so I put that on my list, too. Signs. Cool. And I think the last movie that we have to talk about between the two of us is uh, one of our major interests, I would say. Um, Pom- it's called Pompeii. Oh, yes. Fanta 20... Was that? That one's... 2014. But yeah, Pompeii starring Kit Harrington from of, Game, uh, of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Jon Snow. <laughs> oh, cutie. Yeah. Super cutie. Although he's not that cute when he cuts his hair and shaves. He's like, eh. Yeah. But man, the, the hair and the beard just make make it. And plus, he's all buffed out in this. Because he's a, he's a gladiator. Yeah. He's a gladiator. Of course. He and, has to be. And so it's got, we've got the great uh, scene in the Coliseum. That that was really fun. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, yeah, he's pretty hot in this. Super. So you know this is a movie. You know how this movie is going to end. Plus there's the really hot, beautiful woman. Uh, yeah. And, and basically it's about uh, these people at the eruption of Pompeii. Fantastic. Just, I don't know. Somehow all their human foibles uh, remain the central focus, despite the mountain exploding (laughs) around them. They're, like, racing through the streets in chariots, trying to get, like, a bag of whatever and, like, save the girl and collect their debts or whatever. I don't even remember what happens in this movie, honestly, (laughs) but I really loved it. (laughs) It is. It's it's very fun. And the effects are are wild. Mm. And and they're very CG, and they don't look realistic, but who cares, because nothing in this movie is realistic. Uh, But there's a lot of male nudity, which is quite excellent. I don't know. That's all all we can say is it's Pompeii, man. Yeah, Pompeii. You can't get much uh, more explosive on screen than that. Yeah, we get that. I think there's one point where when the mountain explodes at some point during the eruption water gushes through the city doesn't it and then there's a ship that goes like right down this main yeah. street that was exciting i think does, is um Pliny the is Pliny in this oh one? yeah I th- oh is he i think he is okay maybe. Pliny the elder uh, fyi Pliny the elder uh who was a politician and a scholar and so forth he was across the bay of Pompeii when it went off and he was uh, an official there in charge so he was trying to get some ships and things to go over and rescue some people and I think the emperor didn't want to let him have stuff or I forget exactly what the details are but he did try to do the rescue and he went over there and was not at the eruption point but he was nearby and he was also observing it trying to write things down the nature of this eruption is there was a lot of poisonous gas that was being leaking out of the ground and apparently he just dropped dead well and so plenty the younger ended up who was his nephew i think ended up publishing a lot of the stuff he wrote plus plenty the younger also was observing and he was not allowed to come with his uncle he had to stay back in the in the villa and so he didn't have any risk so he didn't get killed and he he's the one who wrote about the pirate pyroclastic flow which was how this um, mountain erupted and what's interesting is is that from that time, 
scientists or people had never observed anything like that. So they thought, well, he must have been wrong. He must have made it up. He must have mis- made a mistake. He must have exaggerated because they'd never seen anything like this. What, uh, and I don't, I can't give you the characteristics of that particular kind of flow, but he wrote about it. And then recently, in the last few years, there was an eruption, not the Hawaii one. There was an eruption, of pyroclastic flow, and they're, oh, shit. This is what Pliny the Younger wrote about. Oh, <laughs> neat. We finally see it. and Oh, it is a real thing. Huh. Yeah. Validation. Postmortem validation. I know. And, and when I read a lot of these things that people wrote about the past, uh, and, I, and I'm talking about people like Julius Caesar, people like Pliny, people who had a didn't have a particularly mythological or fanciful mind. And they're writing about things, and then people, they go, well, no, they, you know, certainly numbers, they may exaggerate or miss. Ha- miscounted or misinterpreted how many or wanted to blow it up. There are certain things, yes. But they're finding out over and over again these things that, oh, they must have just been making that up because they want to exaggerate. And then they find evidence and go, oh, shit, they're telling the truth. So there's a lot of validity to what these people were writing. That yeah. Why shouldn't we believe a lot of it? I mean, people in the past were so fucking smart. Like, they managed to construct entire castles without machinery. Yeah. <laughs> like... Well, well, there's that, but but it, no, it's more like not so much being smart. It doesn't it, it doesn't have to do with that idea that they weren't smart, but that they were they didn't have the same idea of history and truth and factuality that we had. Mm-hmm. To them, the interpretation was that the value of just laying out the facts objectively was not something that was really within their mm-hmm. uh, worldview. But they're finding over and over again that they are saying what was factually true. Uh, For example, when Julius Caesar, he crossed over to Britannia, it is now England, I think it was Julius Caesar, it was one of those Romans, they were conquering England and the Druids were like offering human sacrifices, they would take people, I mean it was really gross, they'd like take people's heads and stick them on pikes and put them out there and they're like flayed bodies and I mean, they were talking about all these things and the cannibalism, and people go, oh, they must have just been exaggerating that. And now they're actually finding archaeological evidence, oh, wow. and they have found, like, a skeleton of a guy who was sacrificed, and the, and the, and the, there are scrape marks on his bone where it shows that they scraped the flesh off. And there's all kinds of things that they're finding that validate those things that a lot of historians were saying, oh, well, that's just exaggeration. That didn't really happen. So... That thing about Pliny describing the flows and the and the way the uh, mountain erupted is now being validated when people thought it was untrue for so long. That's pretty sick. Yeah, sick um, isn't good. Sick isn't sick. Sick. Those isn't people sick. are sick. Those people are sick. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll wrap up this uh, discussion of the movie Pompeii 2014 oh. with um, looking at the uh, letterbox review page here. Um, there is a one single five-star review. I uh, gave it a five-star review. <laughs> oh, is that mine? No, it's someone else's. Oh, wow. wow so there's okay. two. The screen goes black and suddenly, out of nowhere, moves to the so shockingly conceptual, yet so utterly affirmative of final images in the history of movie. This is a serious masterwork. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? That's a great question. <laughs> Um, but you know, you might you might be blown away. You never know. Also, the book Pompeii. I think this might be very loosely based on that book by Richard Harris. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really good. It's very good. It's a good book, and it's it's not histor- It's not historical, quote unquote. It's a novel. 
and they take they found various bodies at the site when they did the archaeological excavation one of which was a gladiator they found a highborn lady in the gladiator's quarters um all which ossified probably what the yeah. yeah which is where this comes from and so he takes those character and he just builds a novel around the various characters yeah. and it's very good it's really neat and there's also a lot of it like factual information about aqueducts and the yeah, Roman true. aqueducts that is central to the resolution of that right. novel but and the flows and all that kind of stuff yeah. but it but it's all just part of the plot so there's nothing heavy going about it so we love pompeii i think that's it we're gonna wrap it up for you if you are intrigued by any of those movies and if you want to know more about any of them message me you can rent them all at scarecrow video mm-hmm. are we going to put the list in the show notes absolutely yeah all right we'll put a list i'll i'll add my short description of each of the films that i picked <laughs> And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for episode 10-ish of Foibles. (laughs) (laughs) 10-ish. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.